Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Hey, welcome back to the show. It's me, the, the host of the show. And me, the brother of the host of the show. And today is, well, not in the day of recording, but the day this airs is actually my 26th birthday. So to celebrate, I'm going to be predictable and just talk about my favorite game of all time, which happens to be Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door. The favorite game of the host of the show and the brother of the host of the show. Yeah, it is highly regarded by both of us as among our favorite games of all time, and I actually did this thing with Alfalfa, one of the previous hosts, where we counted down our favorite games and gave little backstories and soliloquies about why we liked each game we did and why we ranked them as highly or lowly as we did. And in the end, I realized that Paper Mario Thousand Year Door was my favorite game, but there was no tragic backstory associated with it, no deep life-changing moments, which kind of bugged me because a lot of my friends had those for their favorite games, but in the end, it's just a good, fun game that makes me happy. Good times all around. There's a lot to do. It's one of our first and favorite RPGs. Not not our first, just one of our first. Yeah, I think our first might have been Chrono Trigger, which I'm going to talk about sooner or later. Shoot, I think Valkyrie Profile was in there too, but that's a technically different genre. Yeah, a lot, a lot of the Super Nintendo ones, like Lufia. Breath of Fire. Yeah, Breath of Fire. Technically Soul Blazer is an RPG, I think. Really? It's kind of like an action RPG. Yeah, that makes more Like, you sense. level up and you have your armor and stuff. But yeah, Valkyrie Profile, those for, like, the PlayStation. Anyway, Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door, we're already getting sidetracked. As is custom. Anyway, so yeah, Paper Mario 2. It's released for the Nintendo GameCube and is actually... We're not the only ones to consider it a favorite because a lot of people think of it as the favorite game in the series. It's the one they want intelligent systems to go back to every time they make a new Paper Mario. Yeah, once we got a little bit older and were able to talk to, like, the whole internet about video games, I was pretty surprised about how widely regarded this game was. Oh, yeah. It really, I want to say it perfected the formula the first Paper Mario introduced. And it was a high that would never again be reached by the series. Not quite, no. I th There are good things I can say about each of the Paper Marios. Yes, even that one. But I honestly can't say that any game tops Paper Mario 2, in my opinion. And now Anthony is holding my copy of Paper Mario Color Splash, which I will contend is an actually good game, even if it has its problems. A lot of times with Nintendo games we usually do find that we like them regardless of what mass appeal says. Yeah, usually. 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 But P Paper Mario, there's just a simple joy to it. I can't really get mad at a Paper Mario game. I, I think it's actually kind of silly to get mad at a Paper Mario game. I understand wanting the quality to be as high as it was during Thousand Year Door, but to just loathe any of the Paper Marios just seems a little silly to me. They're they're not offensive. I mean, Nintendo's just going out here to have fun. It doesn't matter about graphics or how hard you can push the hardware. It's just good, clean fun all around. Yeah, you're you're a paper plumber who's rescuing a princess in. 2000-whatever game is released. You're not... I don't think you should be taking this as seriously as the fan base wants. <laughs> I mean, it's not too text-heavy. It's written exceptionally well. The gameplay is smooth AF. I've heard people complain that Super Paper Mario was too text-heavy. Yes, very. It was basically just an interactive novel. Well, now you're making me think of, like, a Paper Mario visual novel. <laughs> like one of those Phoenix Wright games or something. And you just never see Mario until it's, like, some inserted artwork of a dramatic moment. Yeah. 
No, just imagining that artwork of Paper Mario in the thinking pose, but he's got all kinds of anime sparkles around him. <laughs> well, now, well, now we're getting distracted from Thousand Year Door by talking about the rest of the series. <laughs> so, Paper Mario Thousand Year Door, released for Nintendo GameCube. I think I said that. I'm not sure anymore. He did. It was in the mid-2000s, and I remember I wanted this game badly. Oh, yeah. It was all you would talk about. I believe you. I don't remember, but I believe you. Because I remember the first Paper Mario. I wanted that really badly. We even rented it a few times. Mm, until we finally decided to just shut up and buy. Yeah. And we had our fun with it. It was a good time. I remember we just left it on the the end screen for ages because we didn't want it to end. Yeah, that was before video games started letting you continue after you finish the game, which they do in Paper Mario 2. Yeah, the, the rest of the series adopted that ability. It's like they heard us without us even having to talk to them. <laughs> Let's see, I believe... It, it, it was actually middle school that we got... It, it was the mid-2000s. We got Paper Mario Thousand Year Door. Yeah. And I was just reading around on the internet. I saw Paper Mario 2. And little me was like... Oh, what? It's like that gif of My Hero Academia of the little boy just shaking his head back and forth. And, and I don't know if you know what that is, but just people listening to this might know. Whatever, weeb. <laughs> And just looking at all the screenshots they had of the game, and I was I was immediately obsessed. I needed I needed this game. So when we finally got into it, uh, we usually made our dad be the guinea pig for these kinds of games because hey, we don't have to think, we don't have to work at it. We can just watch him do it. Yeah, and then he made every game ever look harder. Yeah, he's not the best. No, no. He's likable, though. But golly, it's gotten to the point now where I can just pick up the game to see how far I can get in this amount of time. Usually I would just stop around Chapter 6. Oh, so kind of like a speed run, but not not really a speed run? Very, very casual speed run. Mm -mm. Paper Mario 2, for as much as I love the game... It's a game that I feel like I can only play once in a while because then it wouldn't be as special otherwise. But I'm actually like that with most games. It's very rare for me to play a game so soon after I already beat it. I don't pick up the same game very often, but when I do, it's Doseki. I mean, uh, Paper Mario 2. Yeah. <laughs> Like, do you actually have a copy of the game yourself? Of course. Well, I didn't know. I don't know what your game situation is like. Well, after I moved out and had to rebuild my entire video game collection from scratch, that was one of the first ones I picked up. Well, that's fair enough. Along with Twilight... No, I... you gave me Twilight Princess. Yeah, I gave you our Twilight Princess because I bought the Wii U version. But anyway, yeah, uh, that was... That was, that was one of my firsts. Yeah. I remember spending an entire night while we were at our dad's job. I don't know what you and him were doing, but I was there on his computer in his classroom, because I could, and I was just reading an entire online walkthrough with pictures of the game before we even, before we even had the game, and that's how I learned a lot about what was in it, and... I had a lot of misconceptions going into the game. I didn't know what would be what. It was just kind of interesting learning ahead of time what a lot of these would be. I wouldn't do that nowadays, but back then it was really cool to get this wrong idea and see what was true, what wasn't true. See, that's where we differ a whole lot about video games. I treat the secrecy of it as sacred. Well, I, I said, I wouldn't I mean, do it nowadays. I mean, golly, even trailers I'm cautious around. Well, trailers are literally the commercial. Well, I mean, shoot, with... I mean, to stray from the topic a little bit, with movies these days, you get 50 to 60% of the plot out of the way just in trailers. Okay, I'll, I'll give you that. And honestly, Kingdom Hearts is 
pretty bad about it lately, too, so I'll grant you that. But Paper Mario 2. Yeah, so we got it for Christmas one year, and we played the heck out of it. I've beat the game multiple times. You have too, I'm sure. So uh, Mario starts out in his hometown with Luigi. His gets... hometown, like like it's the <laughs> ghetto or something. He gets a letter from Princess Peach saying, Oh, I found this treasure map. Come look for treasure with me. So he sets off to the seaport town of Rogueport. And he finds that, of course, Princess Peach has been kidnapped. Yeah. The plot of the game is... I usually like to avoid spoilers, but this is an old game, and there's it's... no way... There's no release coming out to respark interest, so you either know the game or you don't, and anyway, the hook of this treasure map that Peach sent is that there is an ancient door underneath the town, and it's been shut for a millennium. No one knows what's on the other side. But, and... they, but they know that there is some kind of treasure from an ancient civilization. Yeah, that's the common opinion, and I remember... A lot of people were wondering what was on the other side of the door before the game was released. I mean, it was a big point of wonder and mystery that, golly, that you just want to play the game to find out what's back there. So you go through all of these uh, different parts of the mush, not the Mushroom Kingdom. Well, it's kind of like an it's kind of like an extended, like an offshoot district. Yeah. So, uh, you find out Princess Peach has been kidnapped, but not by Bowser this time, but by a group of people called the X-Nauts, led yeah. by... they're like shy guys in space, basically. Yeah. So, Mario, uh, gets to Rogueport, finds out Peach is gone, and he's told that, uh, to rescue her, he needs to open the door? I think since Peach had the map last and the people who kidnapped her were interested in the map, Mario surmises that if he collects the stars, they'll event the crystal stars, which They're are pinpointed on the map. The egg MacGuffin of the game. Yeah. He surmises that if he finds all of those, it'll lead him to Peach and the x knots So that leads him to these seven different places, uh, eventually leading up to the X-Nauts base, which is on the moon. Yeah, that's why the moon is on the map in the game. There's this subplot of Peach and her adventures on the moon trying to escape, and uh, Bowser, who's actually perpetually a couple steps behind Mario. Yeah. So, in the first game, between every chapter, you would get to control Peach as he snuck around Bowser's castle and... This is part of what the game does to just take the previous game and just cram more goodies into it. Uh -huh. Is not only do we get Peach sections, now we get Bowser sections. And half of them are kind of a side-scrolling mock-up of the first game, which I think might have been part of the influence for Super Paper Mario. Complete with water level, giant mushrooms, uh, destroying Goombas, of course. Which are kind of weird, because aren't they his henchmen? Or is it in the Paper Mario canon, Goombas are just doing their own thing? Might have just been some unaligned Goombas. <laughs> unaligned Goombas. like the Destroy CD. this unaligned Goomba. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that's, that's basically the overall plot. Mario, go here, get the crystal star. Okay, go back to the door, because every time he gets a crystal star... Well, first he has to bring the map to the thousand-year door, and it'll show him where the first crystal star is. Then every time he gets a new one, he has to go back to the door, and it'll show him where the next one is. And eventually he'll have all seven and bring them back to the door and open it at long last. Kind of makes you wonder if the X-Nuts just kind of lucked into finding the first one. Well, they were, they were on the search for the first one, because the one that was actually in their reach on the moon was originally in Rogueport. Oh, that's right. Which makes sense now, because Rogueport is too important to have not been... Yeah, come see great uh, tourist attractions such as the Gallows. <laughs> yeah, there's a gallow right there in the center of town. 
I think in the Japanese version... It's an electric chair. No. <laughs> in the Japanese version, somewhere in Rogueport, there's a chalk outline on the floor. Oh, yeah, back near the bandit's house. Yeah. Okay. Going back to the thousand-year door real fast, did you have any ideas what would be on the other side before the game came out? Did you have any head cannons? Uh... Well, I didn't think that it would be the last dungeon. I mean, that just kind of felt like a chore at that point. Like, okay, I finally did all seven chapters. Now I can finally figure out what's behind this door. Oh, yay, another chapter. <laughs> I mean, of course I'm stoked for more story, but... Did you think the game would just end right then and there? Well, I mean, I figured, like, there would be some kind of... They tie it off with a bow with some story elements like, oh, this happens and this happens. But the way they tell the story, it's clearly not over yet. Yeah. Because somehow they got Peach down there. Yeah, so, so. You, didn't, you didn't really think of anything specific on the other side of the Thousand Year Door. You just thought it would just be the conclusion of the story. I thought the conclusion of the story was behind the door, yes. Well, in a, in a way it is. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, there's a dungeon, though. Yeah, uh, about halfway through the game you realize that there's nothing good behind the thousand-year door. There's some kind of crypt, and at the bottom is an ancient demon that Grotus wants to hang out with. Grotus, that's the leader of the x Knot. the name I couldn't think of earlier. Yeah. And he doesn't actually want to hang out with it, but I remember in the multiple-choice quiz that the computer gives Peach that he's like, what does Grotus want to do with the demons? One of the options was just hang out with it. Uh, to clarify a little bit, as Peach is trapped on the moon, she does have access to a sentient computer that uh, grows to love her and tells her information about the x Knot's mission and that lets her email Mario, let, her know what, let him know what's up. And kind of give him hints as to what the real, what the big picture is. Yeah, the, couldn't have said it better myself. And while we're on this diversion, the the Bowser subplots are basically just comic relief. There's nothing of there's nothing that forwards the plot except for maybe the first and last one. Basically, just Bowser's in adventures in where Mario just was. Yeah. Where everyone is either too scared of him or not scared enough of him. <laughs> I completely forgot about the Shadow Siren sub sub blood. Yeah, well, 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 let's let's start tackling these closer to chronological order. Gotcha. But all right, so Mario goes to Petalburg and saves the Koopa Town from the dragon Hooktail. Oh yeah, Hooktail is this giant paper 3D dragon. And I think that was one of the first signs that this would be a lot more impressive, a lot more of a spectacle game than the original was. Mm -hmm. So Mario finds that this uh, very cowardly and timid Koopa named Koops, uh, his father was actually destroyed by Hooktail. Eaten. So uh, Mario's map leading him to Hooktail Castle Basically, Coop says, hey, I'll go with you. Try to get revenge. And they go there, and they destroy Hooktail. You're saying destroy a lot, and that gets me nervous. Well, like, I'm not thinking of the right word. Like, this is no more heroes or something. <laughs> he ate him. <laughs> he ate Coop's is dead. Ate... She ate Coop's is dead. Yeah. It's pretty ambiguous until really late in the game, but Hooktail is female. Yeah. The thing about the Paper Mario chapters is, in all the games, really, they're all episodic. They're, mm -hmm. they're all self-contained plots with some intrigue connected to the overall story of the Crystal Stars and stuff. But really, it's just different episodes of Mario's life. In Chapter 2, my least favorite chapter, uh, Mario goes to the Great Boggly Tree, where he finds these little creatures called Punies. Now, it turns out the X-Knots have beat Mario to the Bugly Tree and installed, like, security doors that you can't get past. So Mario needs to find keys, bust out some punies so that they can sneak around more effectively and open these doors to get to the bottom of the tree where the Crystal Star is being held. Yeah, and the Bogly Woods has got to be one of the most visually unique places in the entire Mario canon. I hate it. <laughs> oh. Okay. I love the aesthetic. Okay. I just don't like the the, 
the chapter itself, you know? Yeah, the, the chapter is very heavy on the backtracking. It's not as bad as a different chapter we'll get to later, but it is a little annoying, and our child versions had a lot of trouble dealing with all the monsters in there back and forth. But uh, along the way, you do pick up uh, Madame Fleury, who was once a star of the stage and has retired into obscurity in the Boggly Woods, where the punies just love her. Like, she's the greatest. Yeah, she's like the cool old neighbor lady. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, after that, uh, Mario's map guides him to Glitzburg. Glitzburg? Glitzville. Uh, Glitzville. Glitzville. Which is a floating city in the air with a fighting arena, and it is by and large considered to be the fan favorite chapter. I was hoping we would get to it because it is my favorite so much. Yeah, it's it's just a fun chapter because you get into fight after fight against unique enemies that you generally don't see anywhere else in the game. Climbing the ranks, proving yourself as a real fighter. Becoming more and more famous because it's actually interesting because Mario is not as well regarded in the Rogueport region as he is back home. Oh yeah, he's famous for his jumps and whatnot back home, but here, no one knows who he is. So he's yeah. just got to prove himself all over again. And after this chapter, when he creates his name for himself as the Great Gonzalez, he's still recognized as Gonzalez by characters in future chapters. So that you haven't even met yet. Yeah, so there's a bit of a continuity. But uh, it's pretty cool. You climb the ranks. You start to find out that something fishy is going on behind the scenes. Uh, when you finally get to the top rank, beat the top dog, you find out that the manager that's running all of this is sapping power from all the contestants right beneath the arena using the power of the Crystal Star. Yeah, and while I, I wouldn't say the game is ever really hard, the fight with the manager is probably one of the hardest fights in the game, at least for when you fight him. does have a banger of a trek, though. Oh, yeah. And he actually fights with a strategy in mind compared to all the other enemies that just seem to cycle through attacks. Yeah, that was completely unheard of to me at that point. Yeah. It's also interesting that he uses the golden crystal star to power up his attack and defense, which is what you use it for when you unlock its ability. So it's a neat interplay of gameplay mechanics and storyline. You also get a little baby Yoshi and you get to name it whatever you want. I think the one that always sticks out to me is Horatio. Yeah. Dad, dad named it Horatio for some reason. <laughs> Horatio. Oh, All right. So big eyed. So after we defeat the manager, we get the crystal star back. Go back to the Thousand Year Door. We're led to Twilight Town. Now, yep. how do we get to Twilight Town? Well, uh, you turn the game off. You turn on your PlayStation 2. You start playing Kingdom Hearts 2. Oh, I was going to fumble and say Traverse Town. Oh. But, oh, well. You, you fixed the joke, anyway. <laughs> well, to get to Twilight Town, you have to go through a special pipe in the sewers. And, and what happens when you try to go down that pipe? You can't go because... The pipe rejects people who don't have their names on their person for some reason. Alright, so that leads to asking everyone around Rogueport what to do. Go back to Professor Frankly. He's like, I don't know, maybe try to find someone from here that knows how to get through it. And you find Darkly in some hidden alley. He tells you what's up and he writes your name on your butt. <laughs> You're emphasizing the search for this guy, but... It was really hard. I think... I mean, of course you have the strategy guide, because you read it religiously. <laughs> I was going to say, I remember finding him a lot easier than that. The sacred texts say he's back here. <laughs> the Prima strategy guide. Finally. Find find Darkly, defeat him, and move on. Alright, so after getting to the pipe a second time, you can finally go down, and thus begins chapter four. Yeah, now get used to doing things multiple times, because this is the backtracking chapter. I tried to say I didn't like Chapter 2 because of the backtracking, but this one's much worse about it. Yeah, so you get into Twilight Town, which has this really dour atmosphere. 
almost as if the town is bathed in twilight. Yeah, how about that? And it's all kind of creepy and stuff. Everyone's friendly enough. Yeah, but, everyone's super friendly. But they just look weird. It's almost like Halloween Town. Yeah. And there's a curse where every time the church bell rings, someone turns into a pig. So obviously that's going to have some negative effects. You try to exit town to try to fix it up. But the guy at the edge of town says, hey, I need the mayor's permission to go back to the mayor. He's a pig. So you go back to tell the gate guy about the mayor being a pig, but he's a pig too, so you just go. Yeah, that, that's kind of funny, but it's also a microcosm of this entire chapter. Like, come on, just, why you gotta do this? Just let me through. I mean, yeah, it kind of builds up, okay, now it's real, the mayor's in trouble. Well, and it kind of saves the game of having to go through the trouble of like, oh, the mayor's a pig, I guess I still can't let you through, but I guess I kind of have to let you through because he's a pig, like... It's saving themselves the trouble of having to go through that. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit more self-aware with that, but at the same time, like I said, it kind of foreshadows the backtracking you're going to have to do with this chapter. So, you cross the Twilight Trail. Uh, in fact, you, you can't even get to the rest of Twilight Trail. First, you have to learn an ability halfway through, go back to town. So that's that's half a trip across the Twilight Trail already. Mm-hmm. Then you cross it the first time, and you get to the dungeon of the chapter. The creepy steeple. Yeah, and you eventually find the boss of the chapter named... Well, you don't know his name yet. But he's this weird guy who looks like he's just in a sheet, and he's got a party hat on. Yeah, he's based off some monsters from the late game of the original Paper Mario. So you fight him, and it's super easy, and the chapter's over, right? Yeah, except... Halfway through the fight, he transforms into Mario, or a copy of Mario, or something. A shadow, I could say. Okay, just a completely purple silhouette of Mario. And the fight's over, and Mario and the partner leave with the star, and... What's this? You're suddenly controlling the shadow boss. So you backtrack all the way back to Twilight Town again. But, right outside of town, Mario stops you. Says, hey punk, if you can guess my name... I'll let you be Mario again. And this confirms, if you haven't already figured it out, that the two of you have somehow traded identities. But we don't have any idea what this guy's name is. Like, for some reason there's a P missing on the name selection board, but whatever. And he, of course we don't know it, so he fights us, and we can't win. Like, everything doesn't work, so we just gotta run away. Yeah, you, you can only beat him if you know his name. And here's where we meet Vivian. Yeah, so throughout the game, the X-Nots have alternated what henchmen they like to send out after you. A lot of the times they send the commander, Lord Crump, who I think you kind of dislike. Yeah, he's uh, a little too comic relief for my tastes. Yeah. And whenever they're not sending him after you, they send these three witches called the Shadow Sirens. Beings of shadow skilled in magic. Yeah. And the eldest one is this old crone who likes to yell at the youngest sister, Vivian, all the time. She's a narcissist in the highest degree, obviously. Yeah. And as we get to Twilight Town, we just see more of Vivian getting abused emotionally. And now she has to find some kind of weapon to kill Mario all because, by herself. Because the boss lady dropped it and blamed Vivian on it and is making her find it. Yeah, and it's just sad times. So Mario, or sh this shadow that we're controlling, being the nice guy that he is, he's like, yeah, I'll help you out. He finds it, gives it to her, and Vivian's like, you know what? I want to team up with someone that helps me and appreciates me. Forget this bomb. I'll join you. Yeah. So Vivian joins the party, and she's actually a fan-favorite character. Well, yeah, because she's hot. <laughs> I'm kidding. Anyway, uh, uh, so we make our way back to Creepy Steeple, get through some of the more obscure parts of the steeple because of our newfound abilities with Vivian and whatnot, and we find this parrot in some back room. And he reveals the name of your doppelganger. And in the... Uh, in one of the treasure chests, there is the letter P. <laughs> yeah, like like this is Sesame Street. I keep, I keep saying like this is, and then some other work. Mm. 
So we backtrack, again, all the way back to right outside Twilight Town, and we tell this imposter his actual name. And he is so shocked. How do you know his name? How do you have access to the letter P? <laughs> yeah, he, he really freaks out. So you tell the guy his name. And you backtrack again, all the way back to Creepy Steeple. So for those keeping score, this is five and a half trips across the Twilight Trail, not counting if you had to miss anything and go back. And Twilight Trail, it's not bad enough that you go across it multiple times, but aesthetically, it's really boring. There's so many enemies. Yeah, and they're all hard to avoid, and you can even run into the rare enemy that does 20 damage and then runs away. And at this point in the game, you have, like, 40 HP max? Maybe. Unless you, like, super buff yourself, but that's kind of counterintuitive. You get back to the top of the steeple, you beat the fake Mario. It's so much harder now, and now uh, you've got fake Mario using your partners against you because they think he's the real Mario. And you get all these cool little bits of dialogue going against you. And Oh, yeah, and Vivian realizes that, oh no, you're Mario. I can't help Mario. And then leaves you alone for the first few turns of the fight. But then she's like, yeah, whatever. And so she's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, I, I like Mario more than I like my sisters, actually. And then we finally beat Dupless for real. And we get our body back. Yeah, and I guess that's his name. Chapter it's, end, actually. Yeah, it's it's a chapter that is a lot longer than it appears. You would think that it would be a short breather chapter after the marathon of chapter three, but... No, this game just... It's only half over. Yeah, and I think it's all uphill from here. Chapter four is kind of the low point. So, chapter five... Um, the map tells Mario that the Crystal Star is on an island. How do we get to an island, Alex? Well, you need a boat. You do need a boat, and to drive a boat, you need a captain. Where can we find a captain? Well, we happen to see a pirate-looking guy who likes to sing to himself in the tavern. Yeah, we've heard rumors that uh, this guy is known the world over for his seafaring adventures. Yeah, it's actually kind of interesting that... This one and chapter six are chapters that heavily feature NPCs adventuring alongside Mario and his party, and I really like that. Yeah, it really helps build the process. You understand, like, why they join Mario. Yeah, and it makes the world feel a little more lived in, and it contributes to establishing Mario's uh, place in the public of Rogueport. Yeah, like... Everything that the citizens of Mushroom Kingdom already know about Mario, we teach them through this game. Yeah, and it's not like it's the point of the game. It's not like Mario's character arc. No, no, no. Like, like, we like it's Hercules or something. It's just an interesting byproduct. Yeah. So uh, we find out that this captain, he has retired from the sea because one day while he was out on an adventure, his wife tragically lost her life. Oh, we're talking about different characters. Oh, you're thinking of the... I was talking about Flavio, who is the pirate-looking guy who sings to himself in the tavern. Yeah, that guy. You see him as early as the prologue of the game. Yeah, and he's always just kind of there, sort of like a Chekhov's gun situation. Yeah, he's just one of the many weird-looking people you find in town. But anyway, the captain of the ship... Well, uh... actually, no, see... Well, first you have to sweet-talk Flavio into letting you use his ship, and he appoints you as the captain. You just get someone to steer for us. That's what I meant by captain. The person who steers. Well, yeah, but he, he explicitly calls Mario the captain. Alright, the person who steers is known the world over for their yeah. excellent steering <laughs> abilities, and while they're out on the ocean steering... <laughs> Their wife tragically lost their life. So he vowed to never steer a ship again. <laughs> Why am I laughing at this tragic backstory? But anyway, uh, you find a letter from his wife that he never saw for some stupid reason. And basically she's telling him, hey, I don't want you to lose your passion just because I died. You should still go out and steer your ship! 
<laughs> you know, he's not even a captain. He's an admiral. Uh, whatever. Well, admirals and, are higher. Whatever. On with the story. <laughs> we get him to steer our ship all the way to this uh, island. What's it called? It's Keelhaul Key. Keelhaul Key. But uh, halfway there, just all the winds in the middle of the ocean stop. And we can't move anymore. What's going on? And it's the middle of the night, too. And on, on the high seas, with nothing but moonlight. Suddenly all these uh, fire creatures start to appear. And, oh no, it's the ghost of the Captain Cortez. And, and now the ship's sinking. You all wash up on Keelhaul Key, conveniently enough. By the way, this entire chapter has intermittent narrations by Flavio writing in his journal. I don't really like Flavio. I don't want to talk about him. Oh, I've got stuff to say about Flavio. Alright, get it out of the way. Well, first of all, there's a sequence in this chapter where Flavio follows you around, and in the speedrunning circles of Paper Mario Thousand Year Door, a popular side glitch to do is to get to the is to sequence break to the part where Flavio follows you around, then sequence break back to whatever you were doing. It's a diversion, actually. And you can just have Flavio follow you around for literally the rest of the game. Mm -hmm. And it's called Flavio Percent. Is that it? Can we stop talking about this jerk? Okay, fine. So, you and Flavio and the steering guy, Bobbery... And a whole bunch of townspeople, you're all the crew of the ship, and so is Lord Crump, and the game... Oh, we don't... he's in disguise. Yeah, the game kind of tries to play it coy with him being just like, oh, who's this guy? I guess he's no one important, but about a quarter of the way through the chapter, they just give up, and he... Lord Crump breaks the fourth wall, is like, yeah, you know who I am, but don't tell Mario. It's blatant. I, th I think that was them realizing... Okay, yeah, we're, we're we're too on the nose about this. Let's just get it out of the way. All right, so we wash up on this island. The other crewmates set up camp, and we, well, we're on the island that the Crystal Star is, so let's do some exploring. Also, Bobbery is missing, and Crump, and some other guy. So there's this Indiana Jones-style puzzle that we have to solve before we can actually get into the dungeon proper. And, well, that eventually culminates in Admiral Bobbery the Babam joining our party. Yeah, now he's gonna steer us into victory. Yes. Alright, so we go through this whole uh, underground cave tunnel boat system. Mario learns how to be a paper boat. Oh yeah, we never mentioned the paper abilities. Well, I don't think they're really that important to the plot. Well, no, but... Yeah, we're not just talking about the plot, we're talking about the game. Alright, uh, up to this point, Mario can turn sideways. He can turn into a paper airplane and a tube. This, actually, in Keel Hall Key, is Mario's final paper ability, turning it to a paper boat. Yeah, this game does a lot more with the paper aesthetic than the first game does. And the later games have caught some flack for relying too heavily on the paper aesthetic, but... I thought it was just the right direction to go, because it's Paper Mario. Like, that was the whole shtick from the beginning. I know it's said that they just called it Paper Mario to kind of make fun of the fact that they're using 2D sprites on a 3D plane, but I still think it's creative, at least, to make it paper-based. Oh, very. Yeah, and it's really neat that they gave him those abilities like that. So we go through the Pirate Grotto, and we meet... Cortez, the giant skeleton pirate. We beat him up a few times within the same fight, because he keeps resurrecting himself. How wonderful are those kind of fights, huh? Yeah, he he's listed as having only 20 hit points, but he actually has closer to 60, and then heals himself past his maximum at one point, so it's closer to 80, actually, but it's just in phases... Now, the cool thing about all these boss fights is the way you fight them kind of hints to their the ability that this Crystal Star gives you. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, like we've already discussed with Grubba, oh, the yeah. way Cortez heals. Uh, what's the green one do again? The green one stops time. The green one stops time, that's right. Oh, uh, I guess that one doesn't. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's actually just this one in Grubba. Yeah. And even then, I don't think Cortez is really using... The crystal star this time it's just sitting off in the corner 
And then... Oh, yeah, like, it's part of his treasure, and we're like, hey, we want that one. Yeah, and he's like, oh, you just want that one? Well, I don't even like it anyway. Take it. So we get it, and we're, now we're guess we're on good terms with Cortez, and we're like, hey, we don't have a boat home. And then suddenly, Crump comes out of the horizon, because I, I guess he left somehow, and he's got a battleship with a whole bunch of X-Nauts, and he wants the star that you just got. Well, golly, he's got contacts on the moon. He can do anything. He's firing away all of you, and Flavio gets the idea to talk to Cortez, so Mario has to take him back, and they go back to the ship, and it's, Cortez, I've come to bargain. You Cortez doesn't like Flavio either. No. But eventually they work out a deal, and you use Cortez's ship to beat Lord Crump, and even though the end of chapter announcement played after you beat Cortez, uh, I guess Crump is considered the real boss of chapter 5. The story is concluded, but the chapter is not. Oh, um, no, no, the other way around. The chapter is concluded, but the story is not. Right, right. So you beat up Crump, and you go back to Rogueport on Cortez's ship. And from this point on, you can always go to the port of Rogueport. You can see Cortez in his ship, and you can go back to Gilhalki. It's pretty neat. Yeah, Cortez is just your buddy now. All right, this is uh, usually where I stop playing. Not because I don't want to, just because I don't usually have time. Oh, I see. So, chapter 7. No, chapter 6. That was chapter 6. No, that's that chapter, chapter five. 5. Chapter 6 is... The train. What's chapter 7? The moon. Alright, chapter 6. So, this one is another favorite of mine, even though it's kind of the opposite of chapter 3. The Excess Express. So, Mario finds out that the only way to get to the next star is to get to the very distant rich person town of Poshley Heights... But, but the, the only way to get there is through a very expensive train that takes three days to ride. So how do we get a ticket to this train? Well, the mafia that's in town has been our guide to getting tickets to expensive rides in the past. They got us to Glitzville. Via blimp. Yeah, there's a blimp. but And we also helped find his daughter after like one of his guys wanted to court her and she ran off. And we actually rescued them from Keelhole Key. We ran into them on their honeymoon. We listened to him tell her that she loves her 100 times. Yeah, and uh, we, we sort out the whole Mafia subplot and get train tickets. We're, we're friends with the Mafia now, basically. And see, just because he's Italian, he, he had to work his way up to being friends with the Mafia. doesn't matter what his race is. So we're on this train, and it takes us three days to get there, but in... Well, you know, I never really thought about it. You know how in real life they do these murder mystery dinners and they take place on a train? Oh yeah, kind of like Murder on the Orient Express. This is a mystery that takes place on a train, but it's not murder because it's Mario. Yeah. Well, oh, they, they kind of did that in the first game already. Right, right. With the penguins, but... Uh, Mario receives a threatening letter that the train is going to explode and it'll be sticky and gooey, like like in a serial commercial, I guess. And a lot of the passengers' personal effects have been stolen as well. Like I said, Chapter 6 is another chapter where you really get to know the people around Mario a bit better, because you, you're going to spend three days with them, so you get to learn who they are, just learn a little bit about each of them. Now, like, a day and a half or so in, uh, we make a pit stop because the bridge is out. Yeah, and this gets us to kind of a, kind of the only real chance we get to do some exploring, fighting, and... Get out, stretch your legs, all that stuff, yeah. use the bathroom, get a couple snacks. Yeah, yeah they can't let the chapter be entirely cutscenes and talking to each other. Now, at this switcher station, uh, guarding the button that you have to press to make the bridge go down are these little fuzzy guys, but they're not fuzzies, because that's a creature in the Mario canon, and that was just a poor choice of words on my part. Yeah, they're these little sentient balls of lint, basically. Called smorgs. Yeah, and... A group of which is called a smorgasbord. Yeah, that's probably why they're called that. You basically just make them all go away, and you press the switch, and that's the end of that. Right? You would think. Next up is day three. You wake up and the train is surprisingly empty. You go 
to the engineer at the front and you say, hey, what's going on? And suddenly, there are a bunch of smorgs on the windshield. And they've all done this... Uh, and the only way to like really get up there and out to deal with it is through the back of the train. And as you're heading back there through the windows, you just see more and more of them just you see, all over this train. You see more smorgs and you see none of the passengers until you get to the cargo hold and you find a few smorgs trying to abduct some of the last few workers of the train. And you get up to the top and there's just this ungodly <laughs> conglomeration of all of them into one big old creature. Yeah, it's just like a giant s'more cluster and it's got all these tentacles and it's got the remaining passengers held captive. So now you have to fight it and they're part of the fight too and it'll just swing its tentacles from side to side. Come on, it's time to go do the s'more. I mean, I wish these chapters kind of had less predictable ending. I mean, of course, Mario beats it and everyone goes about their way. What, what, what? did you want them to die? <laughs> Well, I mean, like, there could be some more drama, but I understand the episodic nature. It has to all be all tied up neatly in a bow. You beat the s'more, you get to Poshley Heights, and it turns out that the main investigator that was dealing with all this explosion and theft stuff... Yeah, the, the guy that we kind of glossed over, but he was your helper throughout the chapter, kind of. He's the curator for the museum where the Crystal Star is. But once you get in, you see... Dupless has teamed up with the Shadow Sirens, and they just jump out a window with it. Yep. And you're like, oh no, gotta chase him down. But the investigator's like, wait. He opens this back door, and you go through another chamber, and there's the real Crystal Star. It, it, it was, was a... a red herring. Yeah. They originally wanted you to fight the Shadow Sirens featuring Dupless, but I guess they just didn't have time. I'll save that for later. Yeah. So the Smorg wasn't originally going to be the final boss of the chapter. It made a good one, though. Yeah, it's, it's a good fight. Probably one of my favorite boss themes in the game, too. Mm-hmm. That's chapter six, and it's worth mentioning around this point what Peach has been up to, because that kind of plays into chapter seven. So Peach, Anthony already described it really well. She's on the moon. She befriends a computer that's fallen in love with her. The exposition dump. Yeah, she updates Mario on what she knows of the situation at the time, and she even warns Mario about, after Chapter 4, I think, that there is a monster behind the door that Grotus wants to manipulate or hang out with. Hang out with. (laughs) Crack open a cold one with. Me and the boys behind the thousand-year door. (laughs) This time... After chapter 5, you get some data that the computer couldn't keep up with, and it has to discern what Grotus's plan for Princess Peach is. Then suddenly, after chapter 6, he calls Peach to the room, is like, you gotta get out of here, girl. It's not good for you here. Like right now. Yeah, but Grotus is like, nope, nope, I see what's going on here. So he has the computer shut down, and then... Basically has its entire memory wiped. So it doesn't have any knowledge of Peach, supposedly. I, I like the line that Grotus says, like, even in my most paranoid moments, I never thought my computer would betray me. Because I, I just, now I'm just imagining Grotus just kind of pacing around, paranoid. Like, well, I mean, it's kind of funny now with all the hysteria around, oh, my own very personal FBI agent is watching me. Uh-huh. Yeah, I guess so. Even on the moon. Alright, so Mario gets word that the last crystal star that he doesn't have is on the moon. Yeah, but how do you get to the moon? Well, you gotta take a cannon, because this is Super Mario 64, I guess. Out of Russia, because of course. Out of, yeah, out of fake Russia, you gotta get... Then you go on this wild goose chase for General White around literally the entire game. People hate that sequence, which I understand, but I always thought it was kind of funny. Do you hear that? That's everyone who agrees with you. (laughs) Well, I I get it. I get that it's it's not really fun to backtrack, especially since I was complaining about Chapter 4, but... uh. So you chase this guy around, he's like, oh, you idiot, I was here the whole time. You gotta, like, actually hit him to wake him up. Several, several times. No, no, he... Yeah, you have to you have to jump on him several times when you finally do track him down and guess what? He's right where you started. Yeah, he's back in the outpost. 
and he was just really asleep. And, you know, just as a complete power move, one of the side quests you can do later in the game is to just repeat this entire gong show with General White. So uh, he gives the okay to use their giant, giant cannon to shoot Mario to the moon, because that's safe. But... So we get to the moon. The map loops, because of course the moon is a sphere. Yeah. And it takes you a while to figure out that you've got to bomb one of these rocks to go down a pipe to get to the x knot outpost that you see in the background. Yeah, and really, really good background music when you're in the x knot fortress. Oh, yeah. Like, one of the better songs in the game. Very dancey and electronic. Yeah, kind of kind of like a techno club. And the x knot fortress is probably one of the most difficult dungeons up to this point, because... It's a lot of small hallways where you can't avoid the powerful enemies. Very similar. You need different keys to get to different floors. You can even explore the holding cell where Princess Peach was. Yeah, and if you go to the shower stall that you absolutely have to use at least once as Peach, you can find a henchman hiding behind the stall, which is really weird. And you can also talk to the computer that Peach is talking to. Not yet. You can't talk to the computer yet. Oh yeah, the door's locked. But eventually, you get to the end of the fortress, you beat Crump one last time, he gets sent flying into space. Blasting off again. And then, all the power in the fortress, well, most of the power in the fortress is just kind of uh, shut down. I don't know why you talk to the computer anymore, I just know that you do. It... Yeah, it's been a while since I got that far in the game. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was like four years ago I played this game last. Now the computer agrees to uh, bring up a teleporter from the moon to, conveniently, the sewers of Rogueport. Which is how they've been getting around in the game. And he's like, okay, as soon as you do that, I'll blow this crap up. So he does that with his last words being, Princess Peach, I love... Something like that. Like, he either says that there or in one of the other places. That's right when he explodes. Yeah, the, the the computer, he's still alive, he still remembers Peach, and he sacrifices himself. For the greater good. Yeah, and it's it's sad, because it just wanted to love Princess Peach, and it was just a computer. And uh, that's it. Mario has all the crystal stars now, and he's right there in the sewers. You can go to the thousand-year door. Also, Bowser has heard that you got all the stars for some reason. I don't know how he knows, but... Now he's going to go to the Thousand-Year Door, and Grotus and Peach, according to your mission control character, are already through the Thousand-Year Door because the seal has weakened over time, which is kind of cheap, but eh. Well, I mean, when you have all the Crystal Stars so close to the door, I could imagine it would have some kind of effect on it. Maybe. So you have all these delicious Egg McGuffins, and you go through the actual hardest dungeon of the game. Yeah, you... You finally open the thousand-year door, and the entirety of the final chapter is just the Palace of Shadow on the other side. A collection of the hardest puzzles, the hardest enemies, really testing what you've learned in true Nintendo fashion. Yeah, it's really solid, beefy final dungeon. So you get to the final room. Well... Not the final room, the second to last room. Oh, no, no. Third to... There's a boss rush. Yeah, there's there's a lot of bosses in this chapter. I kind of wanted to go well, like, over them in order. Well, like, right there at the end, it's a one, two, three punch. Yeah, well, about halfway through the dungeon or so, you come across this courtyard, and there's a tower that you can solve a bunch of puzzles in. Can? Have to. Yeah, well, you don't have to do it as soon as you come across it. Oh, no. You cross to the other side, you ignore the tower, and you fight a palette swap of Hooktail. Gloomtail. Yeah, Gloomtail. Like, remember Hooktail? Remember when she was in this game? This is her brother. Yeah, her big brother, who's a lot more powerful. And when I first played the game, he was where I quit. Instead of breathing fire, he breathes poison. He's just all around stronger. You can't distract him with cricket noises. Yeah, he's basically if Hooktail was at her A game. If Hooktail wasn't such a little... And so you beat Gloomtail, you solve the riddles of the tower, and then the Shadow Sirens and Dupless are there again, and now you have to beat them up. This is actually the second time in the game you fight either of them. 
Yeah, so, like you only fight the Shadow Sirens once before this. You only fight the Duplos once before this. For for as frequently as they get in your way, you don't really fight them a lot. Right. Then you get through the remaining parts of the Palace of Shadow. Harder puzzles, more memorization. What I really like about the Palace of Shadow is that the background music is just a menacing version of the classic underground theme. Mm-hmm. It's just... Mm. It's never been in the game anywhere up to this point, and that's what they chose as the final boss music. It's kind of interesting. It's like like the underground theme kind of gets this honor that it never gets anywhere else. So you get to this really big throne room, and you fight Bowser. No, you don't fight Bowser. You fight Grotus. You don't fight Bowser? Not yet. You fight Grotus. I'm not wrong. You do fight Bowser, but first you fight Grotus. Yeah, you finally fight Grotus. At the at... leader of the X-Nots, who's been getting in your way this whole time. Yeah, and he... Dies. He doesn't die. You fight Grotus, and he... yeah, you've also got Peach there. This is the first time Mario and Peach are in the same room. The whole game. Yeah. And after the fight, Grotus just thinks... I'll, I know, I'll spam lightning on you, and if you bother to fight me anymore, I'll just kill Peach here and now, which has to be a bluff, because he needs Peach for his plan. And then Bowser suddenly makes an appearance, like you were describing. He just squishes Grotus, and Bowser decides he wants a piece of you, because he's been chasing you the whole game. Uh, the thing about the Grotus and Bowser fight is they don't let you heal at all between these two really tough fights. You really gotta manage your resources really well. So what I like to do, and I think a lot of people like to do, is they try to position their experience points so that they'll level up right after beating Grotus, so that'll heal them in time for Bowser. Smart. And then after you beat Bowser, you go down this very, very long staircase. Because Grotus, he ran away with Peach while you were fighting Bowser. It's like, dang it, Bowser! And you get an Ultra Shroom, and there's a save point. Hmm, wonder why. We enter this chamber. Grotus is in front of Peach, who's unconscious on a coffin. There's candles everywhere. He says some kind of ancient prayer, and all these candles, just one by one, turn black. And uh, the coffin opens, and the spirit of the Shadow Queen appears. Yeah, the calamity that destroyed... Hyrule, hundred years ago. (laughs) No, the calamity that destroyed some random town a thousand years ago. This weird purple paper floppy lady. Who's very strong. She possesses Peach. Yeah, and Grotus is like, okay, we can hang out now, right? And she's like, lol, no. And she reduces him to just a head, which is okay, because he's kind of a robot, I think. Until, like, I played after finishing the game, I thought he was just dead. He's just gone now. The end. Oh, yeah, after after the end of the game, you find out that he's alive, but he's just ahead. But I thought I thought you knew because you were there when our dad first beat the game. Yeah, but, like, till you beat the game, you think he's dead. Oh, yeah, yeah you do. All right, so uh, Mario's put in this well, weird position. He doesn't want to fight Peach because it's Peach, but he has to fight Peach because she's a Shadow Queen. Also, we find out the Shadow Sirens, or well, at least the head Shadow Siren, is loyal to the Shadow Queen. And this whole time, she was the one who talked Grotus into resurrecting her and spread the rumor around town about there being a treasure behind the door, all to get this to happen. It's actually kind of next-level stuff you don't usually think of in a Mario game. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mario toils over fighting Peach for a while, then he just decides to pray for the help from everyone he's met along the way in this new region of Rogueport, and everyone gives him power so he can... Yeah, there's... It's it, it's actually a really, a really beautiful, if overly long, sequence where all the crystal stars, which were said to actually be inventions of the Shadow Queen, so it's weird that they're disobeying her, but the crystal stars all fly out and all the different characters of the various chapters reflect on how Mario and the party member of the day all help them out. So they wrench Peach away from the Shadow Queen's grasp, and now the real fight can begin. Yeah, with everyone cheering for you. And it's it's actually really nice because among all the people cheering for him, you can see one speech bubble in completely green text saying, Go, bro! A lot of them say, like, Go, Gonzalez! 
Oh, yeah. Stuff like that. So Mario is still Gonzalez to these people. Just a really good cap off of Mario's new reputation among the people here. And this fight is really hard. Yeah, the Shadow Queen is an actually hard final boss in my reckoning. And she gives you a whopping one experience point for beating her. Well, to be fair, what are you going to do after beating her? I want to stomp some Goombas in Petalburg, thank you. <laughs> okay. So, you, you get through the final boss. It's really cinematic. Like, it is such a step up from the Bowser fight in the last game in terms of difficulty and spectacle and just everything. The magnitude of story. And it turns out, after the credits have rolled... Oh, uh, well... Well, no, we haven't, we haven't got to the credits yet. Let's let's go in order. Is Okay, so you beat the Shadow Queen. She dies. She relinquishes control over Princess Peach. The Shadow Sirens get out of Dodge. And the Mission Control character, who we haven't seen in a while, he shows up and says, Hey, I found the real treasure. And... Wanted to say that. Well, uh, you want to say what the treasure is? No. Okay. You know, let's just leave that for people to play the game if they still... Yeah, you gotta play the game to find out what the treasure was. Yeah, you, you have to work for it. Or just read it online. It's some real secret knowledge that you gotta earn. If, if you look it up online, we're gonna have our moon FBI computers look at you and call you names. So yeah, that's Paper Mario 2. Yeah, you, uh, you get home, you, your first party member gives you a Where Are They Now montage... Peach decides to send Mario on another treasure hunt for fun, and we just get credits. And you can keep on playing if you want. Go back to Rogueport, say hi to everyone. Can't go to the moon. You you can go to the moon, actually. It's really weird. You, you The teleporter works again. You can go to the moon. You can even talk to the computer again. He's like, I have no idea how I'm alive again. And it sucks, I think. It really, really diminishes the impact of its final scene. But yeah, we would spend hours and hours just playing post-game, just figuring out all these little secrets they had, getting all the collectibles, all the badges. Yeah, this game is stuffed full of goodies and just random side things you can do. There's the mini-games in the Pianta Parlor. There's this NPC who can give you a bunch of lore that you never really use, but it's still good to know, and it connects a lot of disparate details together. A broken lottery system. There's this guy who, early on in the game, you can invest money with him, and he'll go to one of the areas of the first game and come back and give you more money. Always a good idea to invest in Paper Mario. Yeah, it's just... Also, invest in Paper Mario. Yeah. There's just a lot of really fun side stuff to do in this game that really just makes the world of Rogueport feel more alive. So, Paper Mario Thousand Year Door, that's... I don't know. I don't I don't really know if there's really a good sales pitch to it because it's such a beloved game that anyone who cares has probably already played it. And anyone who's listening to this might have already played it either. But uh what were some of the high points for you? Chapter so, 3. Okay, yeah. I th I think we kind of we kind of mentioned our high points as they became relevant. Solid 9 out of 10. Only one game is better. Which one's that? Sonic 06. <laughs> yeah. uh, any music in the game that sticks out to you as a favorite? Music? It's all good. The end. What? Yeah, uh, good music in the game. I have a few favorites of my own. I really like the title screen theme, actually. It's not very often that the title screen is one of my favorite songs in the game. It really sets the mood. Yeah, it just lets you know, all right, we're going to have fun. We're gonna, it's going to be a crazy adventure. It's going to be awesome. And the Rogueport theme is also a favorite of mine. It's hard to hate. It just really gets you excited for the, the bustle and the seafaring that's in store for you. And I'm really happy that there's a remix of it in Smash Brothers, though it's actually just attached to a medley. Yeah. Uh, different... I, I can tell you're kind of out of things to say about this game, aren't you? Yeah, we fleshed it out pretty well. Uh, well, Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door, it's a favorite game of both of ours. It's my actual number one favorite game. It means a lot to me, and I wanted to wait for a special occasion to talk about it on the show, and... 
I knew I wanted someone to talk about it with me, so thanks for joining me for this, actually. Oh, happy to do it. Like I said, it's just a game that just is pure joy for me. I, I can't hate it. There's no deeper meaning behind any of it. I just really like the game. It's just that fun and makes me happy. Even if it, even if it has low points, it never feels bad to play. Stuff that I'm less excited about than other parts of the game. I never feel like I'm in agony, though. It doesn't offend me or anything. Just so we're clear, we had a great childhood. This wasn't some kind of escape or anything. It was just fun. Yeah. Face value. Fun time. Yeah, not, not, not to devalue anyone who does have a need to escape. I or... mean, not to delegitimize why other games are your favorite for certain reasons. Yeah, like, just... like, by all means... Just we're lucky enough to just enjoy this game just because it's fun. Yeah, you know, I've I've got deeper meanings to appreciate some of the other games in my life, but those are other stories for other times. So that about does it for Paper Mario: The Thousand Year Door. Once we got into it, we got a lot less sidetracked than we did. Yeah, we really stuck to the task this time. We didn't talk about a million other games. No, we just we just jumped around subjects within Paper Mario instead. Yeah, because when you want to tell the story, you want to make sure you don't miss anything out. Oh, we never talked about the battle system. It's oh well, <laughs> okay. oh well. It's a really novel concept. You're fighting on a stage, and as you level up, and the stage gets fancier, the stage elements have more of bearing on things. It's Paper Mario 1, but beefed up. Yeah, there's just a lot of fun little details to discover and experience as you play through the game. So if you somehow haven't played through the game, and you're okay with the fact that you heard us spoil everything, then by all means, try it out. We did not spoil everything. We spoiled the story. There's... they don't know what the treasure is. Oh, that's true. That's the driving force. (laughs) The treasure. (laughs) That one piece of treasure. If you want to stay up to date with the BitCast, then just follow the BitCast on Twitter. You can usually find me talking about what games are on my mind at the time, or reacting to other things, or at one point making a spilled milk joke. And that'll let you keep up with the episodes, which are on iTunes, they're on the Podcast One's website and app. Anthony, do you have anything you'd like to say? Sure, follow me on Instagram at Tony the Taco Dude. Is, is that actually your name? Yeah. Okay. Like, I had an Instagram once for the Bitcast actually, but then I never used it. So I post a lot of pictures of my fat cat. Okay. Yeah. 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 Look at his cat and look at me talk about games that I care about. I guess. Uh, see you on the next one. Listen to Bitcast anytime on podcast1.com and on the Podcast One app.